Morning. It's a joy and privilege to bring God's word to you this morning. I'm gonna put this on the stage because I've got a, got a mic. I don't need that. <laughs> My name is Erickson Jobert, and I'm on staff with the student ministry department. I say that often because uh, I give announcements, uh, re- regularly often, uh, but I get to be before you in this presence sharing God's word with you. When the pastors asked me to come and share the message Uh, I began praying, and then the nerves set in, and I began praying a lot. (laughs) Uh, I've been praying through what what scripture passage to share, what book of the Bible to open, and we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Uh, We don't have a uh, bulletin, but if you take notes on your phone or uh, on your hands or on your paper, um, whatever works, whatever Do it, do whatever you have to. Uh, We come nearing the end of this Advent season, being reminded of the things that have happened this year, Uh, the good things, right? Um, This leads me to be profoundly thankful for you as a church for investing your time uh, to helping our family be settled here, for us to call this place home. I am so thankful for you, Orangewood. And we, as a student ministry department, are so thankful for you as well. And although there's good things to keep in mind this year, there's also the the sense of the holiday season bringing disappointment. Perhaps this is the season for you where you are reminded of the loneliness that you, you put up with and you struggle through throughout the year. Maybe the illnesses that you have been diagnosed with. Maybe it's the loss of a family member in your household. Maybe it's the the dating relationships that are complicated or may have ended this year. The job transitions that you didn't expect. The anxiety that you feel if you go to school and no one understands you, no one gets you. When the world is crashing down around you, how do you pick yourself up? When you feel like there is no hope, how do you persevere? My goal this morning is to share with you confidently and boldly that Jesus Christ has died and resurrected and is seated at the right hand of God today. He is alive and active today. And because he has ascended to the throne, we can endure by faith to the end. Because Jesus Christ has ascended to the throne, we can endure by faith to the end. We'll begin reading from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And then followed by that, I'll pray for the sermon. I'll pray for my nerves as well. And in light of that, I will The vision that I will display before you is I will give three points as to what the text is calling us to obey and then work into what are the sinful conditions that we all struggle with that prevent us from completing what God calls us to do and then lastly offer the person and work of Jesus Christ and what that means for you and me today. 
So we'll read verse 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places or the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, you are here. Your presence dwells within us. Your Holy Spirit has been implanted in us as Ephesians and 1 Peter talk about. Father, open up our eyes and our minds and our ears to hear what you have to say. And may you lead us through our struggles in this season towards your eternal kingdom. We pray this in your strong name, Jesus, amen. So there's three points that I want to share with you this morning. The first being that we can endure by drawing near to God. We can endure by drawing near to God. This text calls us to, in verse 32, to draw near with a true heart in full assurance. In full assurance. This was huge for these Hebrews in this time period. It was AD 60 and the Roman Empire was at its height. And it ruled most of the modern world. And there were were Jews that were uh, celebrating their religion. And they were accepted by the Roman Empire. But although they were accepted, the Christians were not. Christians were heavily persecuted at this time, often thrown in prison or thrown into the Colosseum to be killed for entertainment purposes. It was huge for these Christians to understand this need of drawing near to God. How else do we find the reason for this text, you, you see the word therefore in verse 19. And typically when you're doing Bible study, you look at what is the therefore, therefore. Well, it's all throughout Hebrews. The first seven chapters talks about the supremacy of Christ and that he died by the hands of his own people for you. And he resurrected to sit at the right hand of God, governing the cosmos, governing the universe for you. And as these Christians awaited his return, it was important for them to know that they had access to God. They had the full confidence to draw near to God. Oftentimes when I write letters, I try to address those letters well. Uh, Try not to have ink smudges 
try not to make mistakes. I say dear, right? It's very formal. And I think oftentimes prayer becomes that for us. We address God as a heavenly king, and that's, that's true. You can do that. But I think oftentimes we, we miss out on bringing God our full selves, our messy selves. We have every confidence to draw near to God in our perfect and messy prayers. In fact, it is Jesus himself who is our high priest who brings our prayers, our imperfect prayers, our, our, our pleas, our struggles, our joys to the throne of God, perfecting it with his grace. It is for this reason that we can pray boldly to God and draw near. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior this morning? Is he your king? Is he your Lord? I pray that he is. And if he is not, what, what leads you to reject him? Wherever you are this morning, belief or unbelief, we're so glad that you're here. But that's an important question to ask yourself. So we can draw near to God in full confidence because of what he has done. We can also endure by faith through our trials, our struggles, by embracing his promises. We can endure by embracing his promises. As verse 23 talks about, Jesus becomes like us. He condescends from heaven and takes on our imperfection and dwells among his people. And this was important for him to become a great high priest. If you have been a part of a sports team or a drama club or an organization, there is often someone that is chosen to represent you. And no one else has that role. In Genesis, we find that Adam had that role. He was supposed to bear the, the glory of God in humanity. In the garden, he was supposed to subdue and destroy the serpent. But we, most of us know the story. Adam failed. Adam failed to subdue the serpent and sin entered the world, affecting you and me today. The struggles that we experience and bear are because of that, that instant. When Adam and Eve failed to trust God and believe that God was for him, he allowed the serpent to tempt Eve into eating of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam was our representative and he failed, but Jesus replaced Adam for those who believe. He is our representative. He is our high priest. He is our shepherd. We find this definition of confession. What is this? What is this confession? We find the definition in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation 
for the sins of his people. Because Jesus is our faithful high priest. He represents us before God. There's a lot of work to be done to do that. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was sinless. The devil tempted him three times to, to disregard God, disregard his promises, and Jesus spat scripture back at the devil. He endured every trial that you are facing here this morning. He knows every pain that you've been through. And he goes to the cross for you. And as he moves to the cross, this word propitiation in chapter two, verse 17, explains it perfectly. It's a theological word. You don't say it often. I don't say it often. <laughs> but it's an important word. Uh, we often call it the great exchange. What happened on the cross? Okay, if you believe in Jesus, your sins, your past, your present, your future sins were placed on the cross 2,000 years ago. I'll repeat that one more time. Your sins, past, present, and future, were placed on the cross 2,000 years ago. So because of, of the cross, when God looks at you, he does not see your sin any longer. He does not see your mistakes any longer. In this great exchange, Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his perfection. Our perfect record is his. This is the confession of your hope. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have confidence in this. These believers in Hebrews needed to have confidence in this also. When their brothers and sisters were, were being thrown in prison, when they were being lifted into this, these Colosseum-type places to die for their faith, they needed to believe that. So we can find confidence in what he says. We also see that we can care for one another. We can endure by, by faith, by caring for one another. This text here we see in chapter 10, when the author encourages the audience to stir up one another towards love and good deeds. This is caring for one another, encouraging, exhorting. You can translate it also as inviting one another towards the community of God. It was important for these people to be together. It was important for the church to be together. We can't do this alone. You or I am not strong enough to fight the evil powers that are in the world, the temptations that lay wait at you day and night. The devil whom it, 1 Peter 5 talks about is, is crouching like a lion waiting to pounce. That's a fearsome enemy. We need each other. Maybe you've been on a sports team where it's the fourth quarter and you're down by points and you, you need to win. 
Or maybe you've served in a military and you know that, that being in the foxhole or, or, or being uh, at your station somewhere, you know that morale is important to win the battle. Before you go on stage and perform, you, you know that it's important for you to be able to receive encouragement. We need each other. And this is important here because in verse 25, we see that some neglected to meet together. There was a habit, a habitual habit for some of these Christians to stop meeting together. We don't know why they they stopped. We don't know what the reason was, but it had a profound impact on this community. Maybe you're traveling today and you do not have a home church. Maybe you do. We'd love for Orangewood to be your church. But if you have a church that you regularly go to, commit to that church. Go through their church membership process and usher in God's kingdom where you are. As Craig preached this past year on on John 13, the world will know that we are disciples of Christ if we love one another. So we see all these good things, enduring by faith, drawing near to God, embracing his commands and promises, caring for one another. Those are good things. Those are great things. But what gets in the way of accomplishing those things. Our sin, yours and mine included. And for taking notes, these next points will will mirror my main points. Instead of drawing near to God, we can draw away from God into the world. Maybe it's towards your circumstances. Maybe it's towards yourselves. Maybe it's towards your, your popularity and your self-image and you, you go on Instagram and Facebook and you, uh, you, you look at uh, the posts that others are posting and the turning wheel inside your mind says, I'm not good enough. The amount of posts that I post and I get a few likes, a few comments, I'm not good enough. And never in the history of existence does a like define who you are. A comment does not define who you are. God defines who you are. Maybe instead of drawing near God, you draw away from God towards your preferences, maybe towards places that you shouldn't go. Maybe it's relationships that you you shouldn't be involved with. Places online you shouldn't be going to. Our sin inhibits us from drawing near to God. So so we must fight our flesh daily. Instead of embracing his promises, we embrace what is familiar to us. There's a book written years ago by the name of man of of Chuck DeGroote, a book called Finding Egypt. And it was talking about uh, the sin patterns of the Egyptians, of the Israelites as they were enslaved to Egypt. And they were being led out of Egypt 
into this Exodus journey and they were complaining to Moses, wanting to go back to, to Egypt, back to their slavery because it was familiar to them. The routine food and meals that they would get, the shelter that they had. It was terrifying to, to be in the presence of God and into the unknown for these Israelites. So they wanted to go back for some reason into their slavery. And I think oftentimes we can get caught up in these habits also, these patterns of addiction and sin. And maybe those patterns were, were things that you, in your past life before Christ, maybe even currently, are ways that you can survive somehow that maybe it's normal for you to be jealous and to live with pride and envy, to cope with the pain. Maybe it's, maybe it's running away from conflict, not engaging someone when you know that you need to have a conversation with them. You know, years ago, I made this mistake in my early days of ministry and it almost costed me my job and my, my credibility because I refused to speak truth into a situation because I worshiped this idol of approval. I couldn't stand someone or something being disappointed at me. When we allow the idols of this world to dictate our future, we miss out on the presence of God, on the power of God to work in and through our lives. Instead of encouraging one another to love and good deeds, we care only for ourselves. Maybe you work for a business. Maybe you own a company. And there are decisions made that would benefit your company, but maybe not the people that either work for the company or, or the product that the, the, the company sells. Maybe you hit retirement and the temptation for retirement is to travel. And I love, I love traveling. It's awesome to, to go to these, these places. But maybe those could be excuses for you to, to run away from the conflict that you know you need to engage with. Uh, maybe the, the son or daughter that is not walking with the Lord needs you. Maybe you use your emotions and your mind to manipulate others, to, to manipulate uh, to get your way somehow, some way, people become stepping stones to you. We all need help, don't we? We need encouragement. We need the presence of God to work in and through ourselves. I don't stand before you perfect. I stand before you convicted of my sin. <laughs> and Jesus is all the more my savior. How do we find truth in this? We can look to the one who has conquered in your place, who has endured every trial that you're facing, every temptation, every struggle, has been perfect because Jesus drew near to God. 
He loved God. He prayed to God. We can draw near to him in personal relationship. We can come alongside our brothers and our sisters, our sons and daughters, to pray together, to hide God's word in our heart together, to set aside time for family devotionals, to know that that we must be dependent upon his power working in us. Because Jesus clung to the hope of the gospel because he was faithful. We can embrace the values that we know are true. Maybe your company has core values that you can embrace knowing that that those core values have been written for a purpose. Maybe you can engage in conflict for the sake of the relationship, even though you hate it. I take personality tests often, uh, and if those that are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a nine. It means I'm a peacemaker. I hate conflict. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like broccoli on my dinner plate. <laughs> maybe, maybe God is calling you to break free from your addictions to speak the truth, to go on a mission trip. We just got back from Alcapoco to visit orphans and kids that don't have parents, or if they do have parents and they can't afford to keep them. You can make a difference just by your presence in their life. Because Jesus cared for others He ushered in shalom to God's kingdom. Therefore, we can do the same by inviting others to experience the presence of God, to serve our teammates and our friends, to be a blessing in our retirement and our jobs. We can usher in inner well-being and outer well-being, which is shalom, into our world ushering the aroma of Christ where we live, work, and play. Maybe you're here this morning worn down by the struggles of your life. Your kids are not walking with the Lord today. Paying for rent and for the car and for the school and all these things are becoming more and more difficult Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Wherever you are this morning, if you are a believer here in this room, know that you have the presence of Christ with you and he has not left you nor forsaken you. He is our ever-present help in our time of need. He is our great high priest as this running theme of Hebrews talks about. Maybe you're here this morning claiming Christ as your savior, but your life product is not that. Maybe this is a Sunday thing for you, but throughout the week, it's something else. 
And if I could ask you a question, it would simply be, how is your life going right now? Have you found the happiness and the purpose and the fulfillment that you've longed for? And from experience, I can tell you that you can't. As a freshman in in college, I continued to do the things that I know was not right. I was searching for fulfillment in this world. Going places that I shouldn't go, doing things I shouldn't do. And then God met me my freshman year of college, bringing me to my brokenness and the end of myself and him presenting himself before me as my savior who who loves me, who, who knows me, who desires me, who approves of me, regardless of whatever I do or don't do. Jesus is for you. Believe that. Maybe you've grown apathetic in your faith and you hear the same Jesus over and over and over again and it's become inoculated. It's become the merry-go-round. And my my encouragement to you is, is, is for you to to know that, yes, Jesus is important and you hear it over and over again, but he's real. And the idols you serve are not real. They can't speak to you. Success can't comfort you when you fail. Jesus is our high priest. Maybe you are not a believer this morning and you're angry at the church. And somehow you were dragged here. Not sure if, not sure if someone bribed you to come. I don't know. Um, but you're angry. That Jesus is not a personal savior to you. And I would encourage you to, to, to ask questions. To seek the answers to who is this Jesus Why is he important? He's real to me. Is he real to you? I'll close with this. On October 6, 2006, a man by the name of Charles Roberts stormed into a one-room schoolhouse in an Amish community in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, shooting five girls to death, injuring 11. The news was tragic. It was painful to see. And the Amish are known for, for their nonviolence. It was horrible. But although it was horrible and painful, their response was puzzling, to say the least. Charles's mother, Terry, who lived on the property, was approached, her and her husband, by the Amish community after the shooting happened. And Terry saw through her lattice window the embraces of the Amish community to Terry's husband, the father of Charles. 
these Amish were encouraging them to stay in the community, to know that, that Charles, even though he, he killed himself after the shooting, was forgiven. But this act of forgiveness did not stop there. During a private funeral ceremony of Charles, as many as 40 Amish came and surrounded the funeral site like a crescent, encouraging Mary, uh, the, the widow of Charles, and her three kids. They also provided funds for the widow. Mary now travels the nation, sharing of God's love to her and crediting her salvation to the act of forgiveness by the Amish. How do you explain that? I think, this is just, just thus saith Erickson, I don't know. But what, what I think I do know is that these Amish were faithful to the Lord and that they knew that, that yes, it was a tragedy that their, their five girls died, that they would no longer see them in this life. They, they knew that it would be a greater tragedy if the Roberts family was not extended forgiveness in the presence of Christ. Let me read from verse 32 in chapter 10 of Hebrews, because I think this also gets it. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you were saved, you, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partakers or partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an eternal kingdom with Jesus Christ and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. These Amish had eternity in their sights. They believed by faith that they would see their kids again. And they held on to the belief that Jesus was more powerful than their, than their circumstances. He was, more, he was more than what they could imagine or ask for. We can endure by faith, by drawing near to God, embracing his promises, and ushering shalom where we live, work, and play. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and you invite us to trust you. I pray for those in this room that are hurting. I pray that they can understand that, Lord, you know what it's like to hurt. You know what it's like to experience pain, to be rejected, to be accused of wrongdoing, to be killed. And I pray for these people, my friends in this room, that they can understand the gospel. They can be impacted 
by your presence this morning. Work in their hearts, work in mine also. We love you and praise all in your name. Amen.